Good morning. You're listening to the OG Inspiration Show, broadcasted from WDRB in Charlotte, North Carolina, the voice of the community where we give education, entertainment, and inspiration. And so, as I mentioned each week, the purpose of the show is to inspire, to motivate, to empower, to enrich the lives of others through education, career planning, my own experience, nonprofit organizations, authors, faith-based communities, coaches, entrepreneurs, professionals, and small business owners. And so the purpose of life is to live it and to taste experience, to turn obstacles into opportunity to the utmost and to reach out eagerly without fear for newer and richer experiences. For we have an innovative God and he is constantly challenging us to reflect his glory, to utilize the characteristics he has given each of us to move toward righteousness. And we must often be innovative in that task. So before we begin today's show, let us say a word of prayer. Father, we praise you and we thank you for this opportunity to give to your people. God, wherever they may be, drinking coffee at Starbucks, waking up in the morning, driving in their car, starting their week off. We ask that you would bless, guide, and direct them. Give them wisdom. And we praise you. Amen and amen. And so this morning, we have an awesome team with us, a faith-based community team. And we will be talking with a candidate for the bishop, Dr. Reverend Orlando McCauley, who is a part of the African Methodist Episcopal Churches, again, which is the church that I am a member of. And we have the executive team here. We have presiding Elder Sandy Drayton and Reverend Dr. Jock Days with us here in the studio. I'm also a part of the executive committee and team for the candidate for bishop for Dr. Alanda McCauley. And he is a really, really great guy. You got to get to know him. He's a cool person. And I am honored to have had him as a professor and will have him as a professor as I finish up my MDiv. Some of you may say another degree. Yes, another one. But I'm honored for the commitment to complete that as one of my professors. And so before we begin, as I do each week, I like to inspire you. And these are some of the quotes that Dr. McCauley has put up on his Facebook page. And I I know these quotes will inspire you. And one of them is, if you really have a pure heart, you will win in the end. Remember that a pure heart goes a long ways. You may do a lot of things, but if your heart and there's no integrity in that, you want to know that a pure heart will go a long ways. Another quote is, who looks outside dreams, who looks inside awakes. Sometimes you have to go within yourself to awaken to the potential that you have. And life is a gift. Wake up every day and realize that. You guys are familiar that I always repeat the quote, life is a gift and it offers us the privilege, opportunity, and responsibility to give something back by becoming more. And the last quote that I want to inspire you this morning is, no one is you and that is your power. Wow. You are uniquely and creatively made by our Father. And so be uniquely you. It's okay to be you, to use your gift, to use your talent, and to use your uniqueness to bring change about the entire world. And so I want to read Dr. McCauley's bio 
before you on this morning, who is our featured guest in the studio today. The Reverend Dr. Orlando McCauley is the third oldest of seven children born to the late Reverend Orlando and McCauley Sr. and Mr. Rezor McCauley. He is a second-generation preacher born in the native land of Liberia, West Africa, and pays homage to his parents for his spiritual upbringing. Dr. McCauley accepted Christ at an early age and was indoctrinated into the faith under the banner of African Methodism. Reverend McCauley answered the call to itinerant ministry upon graduation from high school at Mororia College, an AME-affiliate high school in the capital, Memoria. He was licensed to preach by Bishop John Richard Bryant and later enrolled at Bryant Seminary, the first established department of the AME University. While at Bryant, Reverend McCauley Jr., is distinguished himself among his peers. He was given the first pastoral charge at Irene B. Reed AME Church. The church was subsequently destroyed by fire during the Civil War. Reverend McCauley Jr. sought permission from the presiding elder to relocate the church to the capital city, which was granted the memorial branch of the church grew rapidly. The church grew to become the fourth largest church on the presiding elder district. Prior to his travel to the United States, Reverend McCauley Jr. received the order nations of deacon and elder, respectively, under the late Bishop Cornell Henning. At the end of the 2000 General Conference, Bishop Richard Norris was assigned to the 14th District and soon after took a likeness towards Reverend McCauley Jr. Bishop Norris awarded Reverend McCauley Jr. a full scholarship to attend Turner Seminary in Atlanta, Georgia, where he remained until graduating with honors with a due degree in the spring of 2006. As part of the extracurriculum activities while at Turner, McCauley became the president of the Turner's Student Fellowship and subsequently vice president of the ITC Student Government Association. Also, at the end of 2000 General Conference, Reverend McCauley was elected as one of the representatives of the 14th District to the General Board. This privilege assignment endorsed by Bishop Norris became the catalyst for networking and collaborations while other leaders of the AME Church for Reverend McCauley. He began to build relationships across the connection, he soon became an advocate for the overseas district, raising the consciousness of the connectual church about supports for districts 14 through 19 at the time. As an advocate, Reverend McCauley also admonished the Connectional Church for its economic parity and equal representation of overseas districts. He encouraged the AME Church to consider a unique opportunity capitalized on the work being accomplished in overseas districts that could lead to future denominational expansion and growth in uncharted territory. The global impact resulted from such an expansion strengthens the missionary work and enhances the ability of the AME Church to plant more churches around the world. As a member of the general board representing the 14th district, Reverend McCauley served two quadrennials as a member of the executive committee of the general board of the AME Church. Other committees served on while on the general board include nominating global development, Africa development, strategic planning, compilation, and rules respectively. He also served as a member of the statistics and finance committee for two quadrennials. Dr. McCauley is a family man, a husband, and a dad. He's 
married to the former Odell Massazili Beer, also of Liberia, for 25 years. They are blessed with four children, one daughter, Adora, who's the oldest, and three sons, Orlando M. McCauley III, Olivia Oliver, and O'Neill. Aside from his pastoral duties, Reverend McCauley is also an educator by profession. In 2015, he returned to his alma mater, Allen University in Columbia, South Carolina, and began teaching in the Department of Religion. He also held the position of coordinator of the same department. He now serves as an assistant professor of religion in the Department of Humanities at Allen University. Dr. McCauley Jr. considered his ambition for the epistle as a calling, a lifelong dream since childhood. He often reflects on that fateful day in the fall of 1973 when his parents were commissioned to start a boarding school in rural Liberia. He is reminded of a conversation he had with his dad about the bishop assigning his parents to start the boarding school. He responded to the assignment by saying, quote, unquote, if the bishop sees the need to assist others to do God's work, I too would love to be a bishop someday so I can build more churches. Following this commercial break, we will then have a chat conversation with the candidate for bishopship, Dr. Reverend Orlando McCauley. In need of a motivational speaker for your upcoming event? Dr. Glenn speaks at school graduations, public gatherings, colleges, and universities. In addition, he is a national radio personality as well as published author. Have him speak at your next in-person or online event at 3tierfoundation at gmail.com. That's the number 3tierfoundation at gmail.com. Does your child have an interest in STEM? Is he or she always asking the why questions? With four engineering degrees behind him, Dr. Glenn can help you better navigate the process. Sign up on his website at www.ogstem.com for newsletters, his upcoming book, and webinars dedicated to STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. The key to success is to plan early. It's never too early to plan. Are you a full-time caregiver for a loved one with a terminal illness? Do you feel overwhelmed at times? Do you often feel as if there is no hope? Well, with over 12 years of caregiving experience for two parents alone, in addition to writing a dissertation, fulfilling ministerial obligations, working home-based businesses, and radio personality responsibilities, Dr. Odell Glenn has found the time and has had the energy to write a book to inspire and empower other caregivers. Purchase his book entitled, Caregiving, the inspirational manual on his website at www.ogcaregiving.com. And you can also book him to come and speak at your next event, function, or club. Again, the website is www.ogcaregiving.com. Do you need a certain SAT score to get into the college of your choice? Well, Dr. Odell Glenn can help you get it. The three-tier foundation offers online SAT prep classes. Dr. Glenn will show you test strategies and tactics needed to get the score you want. The exam is beatable with the proper coach. We are open to working with individuals, schools, and groups for six-week online sessions. Sign up at www.3tierfoundation.com forward slash SAT dash preparation. That's www.3tierfoundation.com forward slash SAT dash preparation. 
Do you have that burning desire to educate, empower, and inspire community? We here at WDRB Media provide you with such wonderful opportunities to make such a positive impact. So step out on faith and make a significant difference with your gift. We care about your voice and the impact it has. Call 1-877-342-7770 and provide them with the code 1349 to begin the process. That's 1-877-342-7770 and code 1349. Hi, I'm Dr. Orlando Morris McCauley Jr., a candidate for Episcopal service in the AME Church. I'm the father of three young men and one daughter who are millennials. Their vision and concept of church is quite different than tradition. One of my visions as candidate for bishop is to find innovative ways for which millennials can exercise their gifts and share their vision, especially through technology. There are a few ways you can help the Macaulay for Bishop campaign by donating monetary gifts. You may do so by visiting our website at www.macaulayforbishop.com and clicking on the donation page on the menu. You may donate using the Cash App or the Givelify options. Your gift can make a huge difference in the life of the church. Find us on Facebook at Macaulay for Bishop 2020. Share our link, promote what we do, or find out how to volunteer. The Lord blessing keep you is my prayer. Welcome back, radio audience. As I mentioned before the break, we have three guests here in the studio with us, the executive team for the candidate for bishop for Reverend Dr. Orlando McCauley. And so at this time, I want to let them introduce themselves. Let's start off with presiding elder Sandy Drayton. Can you tell us where you're from and all that you do? Thank you very kindly, Brother Glenn. This is an enriched opportunity for me to express my dedication work in this campaign for my very good friend, Dr. Orlando McCauley. I'm a native of South Carolina, Georgetown, in fact, did a tour of the United States Marine Corps during the Vietnam era. From there, attended Allen University and graduated. I was part of the clergy team there on campus and president of SGA. Married my uh, wife, my girl, friend, and lover at um, Allen University, Prudencia Hughes. And from there, we moved to Ohio. I attended uh, Payne Theological Seminary and graduated from there in 1975 with a Master's of Divinity degree. We worked in the area of which is the third Episcopal district, Ohio, Western Pennsylvania, and also West Virginia. It was there that our children were born. We have three children. They are now successful in their own areas. I thank God for that. But in ministry, we pastored churches in the South Ohio Conference, the Ohio Conference, the North Ohio Conference, from there to West Virginia. It was a great experience in West Virginia. It was where I learned how to become a pastor. And I thank God for the people whom I've met on each of those experiences. From there, we went to Canton, Ohio, where we labored and served the congregation and community for about four years. I've always felt a spiritual calling to return to South Carolina in order that we may 
help and bring others to Christ and help with the social economic needs of our community as well. I was blessed by two bishops and one, if you will, the late Bishop John Adams, who was the bishop here in South Carolina. And while I was in the third district in Canton, Ohio, Bishop Henry Allen Beelan was my bishop there. The bishops uh, came together and collaborated, and eventually I was transferred to South Carolina, but not before pastoring two churches at one time in two Episcopal districts, one in Canton, Ohio, and one in, wow. uh, in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. Coming back to South Carolina is in a rich feeling for me. This is the first time in 17, 18 years that I was back in the soil of South Carolina. I wanted my children to have an experience of the African Methodist Episcopal Church from a South Carolinian standpoint, and I wanted them to know who their family members were, and God granted me those gifts, if you will. And in 2001, at the seat of the Columbia Annual Conference, Bishop Henry Allen Beelan surprisingly appointed me as presiding elder or then the Georgetown District, and I served there for six years. Then I was transferred from Columbia to the Columbia Annual Conference, Dr. Glenn, where I met you, and you were one of the parishioners at one of the churches there in New Bethel, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Of course, my tenure with our candidate goes back another decade prior to that, two decades. I've known Reverend Dr. McCorley while I was pastoring Monk's Corner AME. He would come frequently, at least annually, if not twice a year, to Monk's Corner, and we would fellowship with Mills and talk about his aspiration and his goals for he and his family. Dr. Days, whom will speak after me, I've learned and met him a few years ago, a great man, a physician, a medical doctor, and who uh, my family, my in-laws, a privilege of having him as their doctor. He is a great leader. So this is where we are. We are about saving souls. We are about pushing forward in the church the next level. And the next level is Reverend Dr. Orlando McCorley being elected a bishop in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. In a nutshell, I'm Sandy Drayton. Amen. Amen. As Dr. Drayton, Elder Sandy Drayton just mentioned, I had the privilege of working and the honor of working with him as my presiding elder in the Columbia District, and I am humbled and honored. Our next guest will be Reverend Dr. Jock Days. As Reverend Sandy Drayton just mentioned, he is a physician. He's kind of like myself. He can't separate the science and the religion, and we love, we have to marry them. And so I'm going to let Reverend Dr. Jock Days tell us where he's from and what he has been in his experiences with Reverend Macaulay as well. Thank you, Dr. Glenn. It's so wonderful to be with you this morning. We definitely appreciate the opportunity to share out of our experiences. As was mentioned earlier, I sensed the call to medical, what I would call medical ministry, as a 10th grader in high school when I told my parents that I had decided to uh, pursue pre-medicine and then medicine, my mom said, we already knew that. You started telling us that when you were four years old. All right. <laughs> so I sensed that it truly was a call. I was the third son 
uh, the third of uh, three children, rather, to Reverend James E. Days, who is also an AME pastor, mm-hmm. uh, and my mother, Dorothy uh, Days. And they uh, steered me into the direction of not only the church, but of pursuing Christ for myself. And so at an early age, I uh, pursued Christ. And as a result of that, pursued him in making the decisions for my life, including a college at Morris Brown College and an AME school in Atlanta, Georgia, as well as pursuing medical school as well. While in medical school at the Medical College of Georgia, uh, in Augusta, Georgia, uh, I met a, a beautiful young nurse uh, who had come to be there for a month, but ended up changing her plans and staying there longer. And as a result, after that month, we encountered each other. Uh, and the rest, as they say, is history. She has become <laughs> my wife. We got married uh, the day after my last rotation in med school <laughs> and a week later moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma <laughs> to uh, participate in a private Christian residency that had a focus on preparing folks to practice anywhere in the world so that we could be prepared uh, for missional work as Christians. My first mission trip abroad was one that I coordinated uh, along with the help of one of of my uh, mentors, uh, and it was to my wife's homeland of Jamaica. Mm -hmm. Uh, She brought a group of nurses. She was teaching nursing school at that time. She brought a group of nurses, and and we met on two different sides of the island and, and, and then met together to do mission. We subsequently did missions in other other areas of the world, including Kazakhstan, which is a uh, part of the uh, former Soviet Union. We've been to uh, uh, Dr. Macaulay's home uh, land of uh, Liberia, uh, to South Africa, to uh, Costa Rica, to to Namibia, and other places as well. Uh, and, and and that has become a, a a very important part of doing ministry for us. But it was while I was practicing in North Carolina that uh, the Lord said, "It's time for you to." Uh, to pursue ordained ministry. And I said, wait a minute, why now? I'm, <laughs> I'm doing this medicine thing, <laughs> and why now? But the Lord made it clear that, that it was time. And so I, I began the process of ordination and uh, moved to South Carolina uh-huh. uh, because God made me restless for some reason. I, I, I did not understand at the time why, but it was in 2001 that I met Dr. McCauley as both of us worshiped at Turner Memorial AME Church in West Columbia, South Carolina, where Reverend David Daniels, now Bishop David Daniels, was pastor. I subsequently became an assistant to Pastor Daniels, and both of us worked on his campaign team. I think all three of us mm-hmm. worked That's on his good. campaign team before he became a bishop of the church. Subsequent to that, I was sent to my own pastoral charge, uh, and that was at Adams Chapel in Rock Hill, and subsequently to uh, Thomas Chapel in Union, South Carolina, where I am now. One of the foremost and special parts of being a minister in the AME Church has been the connectedness that that uh, I've had with with other members of the church. Uh, but also with other pastors as well. Two of those pastors sitting right here with us, presiding Elder Drayton and Dr. McCauley, who have had an, a tremendous impact on my life and inspiration and models for me. And so it was easy when Dr. McCauley announced that he was going to become a candidate for bishop. It was easy for him to be my candidate for bishop because I saw his vision. Uh, I understood his his passion for God and for the church. 
I understood his love for people and for community, his desire to make things better than they are, his recognition of the blessing that God had given the church in adding to the body of Christ, the AME Church, with all of its rich history, with all of its forcefulness in changing the social lives of individuals throughout the nation and world. And seeing him declare his vision made it easy to embrace him as a candidate uh, for bishop. And for some reason, he decided to push that up a notch in a decision with Elder Drayton uh, to ask me to come on board as a co-chair uh, to the Macaulay for Bishop campaign with Elder Drayton. And, and what a journey it has been. And so we're delighted to usher this uh, young man of God, this man who loves the Lord and loves God's people, to usher him on uh, to the Episcopate in the AME Church. Amen. Thank you, Reverend Dr. Jock Jace, for that awesome introduction of yourself and your relationship to the candidate for bishop. And so you've heard me read the bio, the extensive bio of Reverend Dr. Orlando McCauley. And so, Dr. McCauley, can you greet the audience and tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from and all that other good stuff? Good morning and to the listening audience there and to you, uh, Dr. Glenn. It's a privilege to share this uh, studio with you and with my two best friends, Dr. Sandy William Drayton and uh, Dr. Jacques Ara Days, uh, both of whom I co-chaired and co-chaired of our campaign, thanking them for their, their belief and willingness to embrace the vision that I have espoused and, and their willingness to help me to make it become a reality. This is a lifelong dream for me. I thank you, uh, Dr. Glenn, for the bio. I think the audience already heard it, but in, for the sake of brevity, I will just share with you briefly who I am, son of the parsonage uh, in the AME Church. The membership there starts from the cradle. Uh, we have where they got the, uh, the son being quiet. You have the cradle road and so forth, and then you go on to become a member of the YPD. Uh, I have become a member throughout the ranks and file of the, the AME Church, born as a child in the parsonage, and were privileged to uh, see ministry from fresh sight. So my father, late father, demonstrating ministry, concerned about the people and being very passionate about the well-being, being able to transform lives in a very, in a very obscure way, you know, uh, using scarce resources in order to make surplus of it. And that's what I learned from first side. You heard the bio when the late Bishop uh, Frank Madison Reed Jr. had assigned my father to the rural park. I was seven years old in 1973. And then he said, and I said to my father, where are we going? He said, uh, well, the bishop wants us to leave town so that we can help make other people's children's life meaningful, just as you and your sister have been privileged. So I said, well, that's the case, and I want to be a bishop, but I want to transform lives. I want to make a difference in other people's lives. I saw poverty at first sight where children walked with no flip-flop on their feet, and we drove for several miles and then walked for almost an hour on foot to reach the place. And when we got there, with dog. And that was my first time leaving the city. But that was a transformation for me. And that spoke to the court of what I think God has deposited in my spirit. And that was to become a bishop to make a difference in the lives of your other people. So I have served the AME Church from my childhood 
from the critter role, a member of the Sunbeam Choir. I became a member of the YPD. I was one of the executives of the YPD and then uh, became a member of the organized lay organization, became a correspondent secretary on the uh, district level, helped me to know the church in a lot of ways. The, the laity ready are the backbone of the church, just like in the military where Dr. Drayton and I were privileged to serve, even though he served in the Marine Corps and I served in the U.S. Army. The enlisted soldiers are the backbone of the military. Even those of us who are officers, we, we depend on them. So it's there with the laity. If you depend on the laity, you can you see a lot of work done. And so what I learned being a part of the organized lay organization was to see the structure of the church, the issues that are re- relevant, the issues that matter to, to the congregation. Without the laity, you cannot have a church. You can have just one pastor. Everybody else, apart from the pastor, is a member of the lay organization. And serving on that board helped me to learn a lot before I accepted the call to ministry. And when I answered the call, I told my friends in high school I was going to become a preacher. They were very surprised, but God moved in a mysterious way. And the rest is history. And upon graduation from high school, we were privileged to serve, went into a seminary, organized Bryan Seminary, which is the first department of the AMA University. As you alluded to in my bio, several years later, about three years later, I was privileged to come to the United States. And there where my journey with these two distinguished gentlemen began, Dr. Sandy William Drayton, a longtime friend, Pastor Mons Corner. And as he rightfully stated, every year that I went there, I can never re- forget when I stopped going to Mons Corner when he was pastor there. And there was an annual event. We always met, fellowship, came to find out that he knew a lot of Liberia because he had already been a friend of one of our elite pastors, the late January who was pastor, and they were both in seminary together. Dr. Jacques Days prayed over me every time I was on the journey for four years, going to seminary, trying to earn two master degrees. So our friendship go a long way back. And when I share with these two gentlemen my aspiration and desire that I believe was a lifelong dream, they were willing to embrace. I believe the church ought to do more than just sitting through the four walls. I believe there's more to the church than just preaching on Sunday morning and perhaps coming back on Wednesday to do Bible study. And some scarcely do Bible study. The church ought to be a community-conscious institution, even though it's spiritual, but we cannot delineate from the, the mission of the church. It will leave all those who are marginalized, those who are less fortunate. The church ought to be more than just raising the tithe and the offering. And my vision about the church is that it ought to make a difference. I believe every pastor who pastors in the church from January to December 31st, if you can make a difference in somebody's life, you have not done ministry. Mm, Amen. Wow. I mean, there's no way why you preach and nobody gets saved. Mm. Something is wrong with your ministry. And that's, for me, that's the concept of ministry. Jesus' ministry was about those who went, who were less fortunate. And he made a difference in their life. And that's the kind of vision I have about the church, making a difference, making other people's lives better than what it has been. And that's my life. I've been married now for 27 years and uh, to my high school uh, sweetheart, Jella, Dr. Drayton, was privileged to have met his uh, sweetheart at uh, uh, Allen University. So we've been married 27, got four children, Odora, Orlando, Oliver, and O'Neill. Both, all of them are more than teenagers now, and I'm privileged to serve as the proud father, a young man and a woman who believe that God has something greater than just our humanity to just serve in the, in a, in a circle where we are, we are marginalized most, especially in this 
in this culture. It's a privilege to be here, and I'm grateful to share in this in this studio with my two distinguished friend and brother, Dr. Jacques Days and Dr. Sandy William Drayton. Amen. Thank you so much, Reverend Macaulay. And so, Reverend Macaulay, there are some people out there who are not familiar with the Methodist process. What are some of the requirements be- for becoming ordained in the Methodist Church? Well, one of the things, first of all, you, you heard my, my history from the laity, one of my first accept the call. And the call of God in your life is, is an undeniable. Nobody knows you more than you know yourself. And once the person acknowledges his or her calling, then you go through the process of being admitted in the church conference, which is one of five conferences within the AME church. And the church conference, the pastor there, we have a discussion with you and, and then takes that, that uh, decision you have made with the consent of the local church, take it to the quarter of the conference and the quarter of the conference, hear your request and then the presiding elder takes that on from after the pastor had made a subsequent submission of your name. And then you go to the district conference and the district conference scrutinizes you. And you are one of those candidates that I met uh, when I pastor uh, one of the AME church under the supervision of presiding elder Drayton. And then after the district conference takes you, then the annual conference received you. It's, so it's a process. And after that process is complete, you get your ordination. The AME Church is very, very proud about education, education of its clergy. You cannot get ordained until you get your first bachelor degree. And after that, then you have to give the commitment that you will go further with your master divinity or else you're not going to be ordained as an elder. So that's the process. It's long, but it's very, very, it's needed because you don't want to have a pulpit that is uneducated and you got a pew that has more education. Right. Awesome. And so, Dr. McCauley, could you name some of the responsibilities? I know there are lots of responsibilities of a bishop. What are some responsibilities a bishop carries in the AME Church once they become a bishop? The role of the bishop is a general superintendency, one who supervises the affairs of an Episcopal district usurps the role of being the chief shepherd over several pastors and presiding elder. He or she is the administrative person who carries our God's mandate as instructed by the AME Church upon assignment by the committee called the Episcopal Committee. That committee assigns you, and once you are assigned to the Episcopal district, whether outside of the United States, your role is to superintend the affairs of the church. So you are both an administrator. You are also the chief shepherd. You are also the spiritual leader. You want who also advocate for the affairs of the entire district, the constituent, where there are issues that are relevant to political upheaval or chaos. The bishop does not sit supinely. The AME church has always been noted about being in the forefront of civil rights issues. So we encompass that the role of the bishop encompasses a whole lot of stuff, politically, spiritually, but most above, above all, you are a spiritual leader. Awesome. AME Church has very rich history. And so I'm asking anyone on the panel here, if someone could tell us in layman's terms, the history of the AME Church. I think that we all can join in with that particular discussion. I want to first thank Dr. McCorley for eloquently sounding the call to ministry. And, and as you said, being called to ministry. One has to be called. This is not an occupation that you choose to go into. It is a call by God. Amen. Our founding father, Richard Allen, a slave who once was a slave, 
heard the preach word by a preacher called Freeborn Garrison. And from there, like John Wesley, he expressed his conversion. John Wesley said, I felt my heart strangely warm. Richard Allen, our founder, founder of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, said, all of a sudden, my dungeon shook, my chains came off, and the glory of God, I cried, my soul was filled, I cried enough for me, the Savior died. Allen went from house to house, exalting to all of his friends and neighbors and kindred, telling them about his born-again experience and his newfound peace in the midst of slavery, in the midst of chain. He then was able to see his slave master as a brother and forgive him for holding he, his family, and others in slavery, but work toward being liberated and free. Amen. Step one. Amen. One of the wonderful aspects of that story, too, is the fact that he preached to his slave owner. Yes. <laughs> and his slave owner could not resist this gospel Praise and committed his life to the Lord. He was not so moved that he quickly gave up his, quote, ownership of the slaves. But Richard Allen did convince him to make a way for those slaves to be freed over time by purchasing their own freedom. Richard Allen, along with other African-Americans at that time, were worshipers at St. George's Methodist Episcopal Church. They were uh, made aware that racism can lift its ugly head even in the church because while praying, they were instructed to leave the altar, to go to the balcony, and when asking to have some additional time to finish praying and then to leave, they were pulled from the altar. And so they left with the resolve that they would have a place of worship where they could worship freely. One of the realities of their departure from St. George Methodist Episcopal Church, in, in particular for Richard Allen, was that he did not have any doctrinal distinctions with the Methodist Episcopal Church. The stated doctrine he embraced fully. He thought that they were biblical doctrines. And so he embraced the doctrines fully. It was not doctrine that caused the Richard Allen to pull away from the Methodist Episcopal Church or from the Methodist Church. It was a social issue. It was racism. It was a view of another human being as less than oneself because of the difference in race. And so Richard Allen embraced Methodism. And one of my favorite sections in the Book of Discipline deals with the Word of God in the mind of the AME Church. And the Word of God sits supremely above any other written work, any other written word, spoken word. It sits supremely as our injunction for life and living. And if the Word of God does not declare it, or if it cannot be proven in the Word of God, then we can't constrain anyone to anything other than what the Word of God allows us. There is one note, as Dr. Day spoke on the organization structure and how we pulled out of St. George Episcopal Church, the racism part, the balcony of which he spoke was built by Richard Allen and the blacks, the slave. It was built because those in charge of St. George's Church expressing racism at that time and wanted them out of the worship experience and therefore said the church was too small to encompass all of us. So 
they built onto the church, thinking that there's enough room now for us to worship God in spirit and in truth, but found later that it was not the same. Before that, another act of racism shows his face. Allen was the preacher for the blacks at 5 a.m. in the morning, thinking that the slave would not be up that early. After laboring all day and all week long, they would thought they would just sleep away. But the Spirit of God moved in each of them, and there was an awakening in their spirit. And Alan preached the gospel to them, they heard. And so we found ourselves them coming out of St. George's Church and embracing Methodism. There's one aspect that they did not embrace. They would not receive any slave masters as members of the church Amen. unless they were converted. Amen. Wow. Hallelujah. Amen. Wow. And I can follow up to that. Even following their departure, St. George's Church for Hall to make sure that the slave was still being subjugated to their mind of Christianity. And so they found a blacksmith shop where they would begin to worship. And following that, that blacksmith shop became what would now be known as a Mother Bethel, the purchase of a piece of property down in Philadelphia. And they were able to construct the first church that is now the Mother AME Church, where Richard Allen's grave is today. But following that church being established, the St. George's Church fought very hard to confiscate the property. And Richard Allen won it at the, at the Supreme Court. And that was the beginning of African Methodism. Because we had our first general conference and Richard Allen was dramatically, unanimously elected and consecrated as the bishop of the AME Church. Awesome history. You, you would also find the parallel with the blacksmith shop that Dr. McCorley mentioned. Richard Allen also worked as a blacksmith, subsequently earning enough money to have purchased his freedom and purchasing the blacksmith shop and the property on 6th and Lombard where the church was erected. So we have a great history. If I'm correct in my thinking that African-Americans became the first landowners in America in the purchasing of that spot, and we have that mentality that's still ingrained in us today to do more. And this is why we are pushing and endorsing Reverend McCorley. He has that concept in his heart to Amen. get more. Yes. Amen. Yes. So, and so as you can see, radio audience, the Methodist Church has rich history. And and so could someone explain how the Allen University in Columbia, South Carolina started? Allen University is a very historically black institution of higher learning, privately owned by the African Methodist Episcopal Church. It started first as a Penn College in a place called Cokesbury, South Carolina. Ten years that started in 1870. The name it carried was in honor of the apostle of education, black education across the United States, was named with Daniel Alexander Penn. He was a strong advocate of black education, so the school was naming his honor. And from 1870 to 1880, it carried that name until Bishop John M. Brown, who was then the presiding prelate in Spartanburg, South Carolina, at the annual conference, the Columbia Conference held in Spartanburg. The name of the institute was changed to Bishop Richard Allen in honor of the founder of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And that's how the church moved from Cokesbury, South Carolina, come to Columbia, where it's situated today. 
the first two presidents who served Allen during our tenure of his relocation were all people who had law degrees. So they saw law as a necessity, not just to train preachers and laity to become advocate and spiritual leader, but they wanted people who were intellectually inclined to defend our causes, civil rights issues, socially and, so- and politically. So Allen had a law degree school that was there, and this lasted for years. So Allen has a rich history, and since its inception from 1870 to its relocation in Colombia, it has given birth to so many products, some of whom include Dr. Drayton and myself. We, we went to Allen. Look at what has become of us today. Great school. It has been supported by the AME Church here in South Carolina and across the, the Connection of Church. We have a, a very proud and rich history of being able to produce a lot of the great leaders of our time. The student membership is very great, very encouraging, very innovative. The school is doing phenomenally well, and I'm very proud to be a product, not just of the school, but also as now we even have reinstituted the school that Dr. Drayton talked about when he was there in, in his undergraduate has become now a seminary. And his name as Dickerson Green Seminary, what I'm privileged to teach you will be coming there in the spring. So Allen is doing exceptionally well. And we're proud. I know Dr. Drayton and Dr. Deswoman uh, sharing their own insight about the historical context of Allen. Well, with just a word or two in addition to what Dr. McCorley stated so accurately and profoundly, Allen means a lot to us. There was a time when Black America students looking for schools of higher learning were not privileged to attend white institutions. It was then that the Allen universities and black colleges and universities grew in large numbers through integration and scholarships being given and athletics to other schools. Our population went down, but under the leadership of our present president and our Bishop Samuel Lawrence Green, Senior, yeah. we are blossoming. We thank God for his leadership. Um, we spoke of Daniel Alexander Payne. Dr. McCarley mentioned him as being the educator, and he was. And I'm just proud to say that we are speaking again of a South Carolinian. He is from Charleston, South Carolina. His parents came to us in Charleston from Virginia as, as a boy. And he matriculated, and this is where my alma mater, Payne Theological Seminary, Wilberforce, Ohio, is named after as, as well. So we've had some giants uh, in front of us who have paved the way when they had very little to work with. And now we have much, and we have explored it sometime, our gifts and talented. And this is, again, where Dr. McCorley comes with his dream to gather the pieces and the fragment that nothing Lost, and we would not forget about those who are less fortunate than us as we climb the ladder of success. As we climb, we must reach and bring someone along with us because soon the expiration of our days will be over. But if we start making disciples now and training disciples more, there'll be more disciples to come. Amen. This is this is this is what Allen University does. So, Dr. McNeely, God bless you. And Bishop Samuel Lawrence Green, our presiding prelate, 
of the South Episcopal District and chairman of the board of Allen University. Thank you, sir, for your hard work and your vision of making Allen University what it is today. We are a growing institution and doing well. And Dr. McCarty can speak on this as well. I think this is the first year for an online program. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mentioned sir. that because yeah. I, my oldest grandson, was born with quite a few physical difficulties. He's a graduate of the School of the Deaf and Blind in Spartanburg. He's with his dad and mom at Green Bay, Wisconsin, where his dad coaches football there with Green Bay Packers. My grandson, Montrell, is a student at Allen University. He's a student online at Allen University. Have some speech difficulties, but he's a student at Allen University. We have gathering the pieces that no one is lost. For those who are listening to this broadcast, if you have children out there who are thinking about going back to school, let me offer to you the greatest institution on this side of heaven, Allen University, where people care. Yeah. 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 Where people really care about you. Yeah. I wanted to add that to it because I think it's important. It is important, Dr. Drayton, because the innovation uh, and and the upward mobility of the school now, he is absolutely right. We need to pay respect and homage to those to whom it is due. The, The chair of the board, Bishop Samuel Lawrence Green, is a very, 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 very pragmatic, innovative leader who brought in Dr. McNeely. And, and this man is is extra, extraordinarily great, a man with great vision, had led the institution of higher learning before prior to coming to Allen University. And for the past three years, the school has transformed. I mean, it's an oasis of, of excellence. And you, you walk on Allen campus, Everything is just transforming. This whole idea online, this crisis had necessitated for us to do ministry differently. And what he did for us with the online degree, make it for education to be accessible across the globe. And we got to give that, you know, we got to give credence to to whom much is given, much is required. Ali has a lot to offer and we want to thank the president. Uh, for his innovation, thank the chair of our board, our illustrious bishop, Samuel Lawrence Green, who is our bishop uh, for such an uh, innovative approach to an upward mobility for the school that started to h- help educate slaves and young and, and free slave children who have no other means to be educated except within their own, under their own vine fig tree. And that's where Allen represents. Yes. And so I would also want to vouch for Allen. Allen is an awesome university. I had the privilege of teaching organic chemistry one and two, as well as chemistry two as an adjunct faculty. And shout out to Dr. Stephanie Drakens of the science department. And as an elder Satan, Sandy Drake mentioned, if you have a desire to come to Allen and you love the sciences, we also have a, a hospital as well that we have um, employing African-Americans as well as people of color to work in. And so it's an awesome science-based university as well. So you have a rich history here that's talked well about Allen, and you may want to consider applying to that university. At this time, we're going to pick Dr. McCauley's brains. He's mentioned some of the things that um, he plans to do. Dr. McCauley, many young people are, in general, are leaving traditional churches for shorter services, non-denominational churches, and technology soiree services. What are your plans to involve the youth? and make relevant changes? I think millennials are very, very uh, critical 
in the growth of any institution, especially the church. I'm a father of three young men and a young daughter who is 26 years old. And their, their vision of the church, their concept of the church is quite different. Our traditional way of what they're doing church got to be confined in a way where we give credence for young people, millennials, to share their vision. And, and, and I think innovation plays a major role, especially te- technological innovation, doing church differently. Uh, this crisis has taught us that we, we don't have to be in, in the full full wall, the building, to, in order to do church. We do ministry, contextualizing it now, using uh, Zoom and so forth, online giving and all of that. So I think if the church is going to have a presence in the future, millennials ought to be given credence. And I agree, you know, that worship ought to be altered. Uh, long-winded worship experiences with not cutting. Uh, you don't have to take three hours to, to be in church and, and dance all day. Now, I'm, I'm not taking that away from any of our charismatic brothers and sisters, but I agree with the millennials. Things need to be uh, contextualized and relevant for this generation if we're going to be able to stay around for a longer time. What does 21st century preaching look like post-COVID? As you mentioned, the people's attention spans are much shorter than they were in the past. And so what is your vision on 21st century preaching? Well, first of all, preaching is is the delivery of the of the Word of God. You heard that today's talk about one of the things that, that stands as a pillar of the 25 article of religion that, that the AME Church uh, embraces is of the belief in the Word of God. Preaching is a delivery, is espousing that which God has given to the preacher to deliver it. And, and the delivery ought to be predicated upon the structure, the context uh, out of which individual that are a member of that congregation stand. 21st century preaching ought to be some uh, preaching that, that, that addresses issues that are prevalent in our society. Post-COVID is a different era. Our life will no longer be the same following this experience. When the Israelites left and, and, and went to Babylon for 70 years, when they came back, the concept of God changed. And, and so it is with our COVID experience. Our preaching in the 21st century ought to be able to address issues that we, we thank God we survived. But now that we came through COVID, God is still relevant in our in our crisis. God God sits with us in our issues. God cries with us in our pain. God shares with us in our struggle, and but also celebrate with us in our victories. And those preaching ought to be contextualized in a very array of things that help us to become human, but also be able to relate to God. There has to be an amalgamation uh, of what I call, you know, our individual experiences and that which the Word of God addresses in all of those experiences. And if the preacher can combine them, which is to amalgamate, then you have become relevant in the 21st century. I want to know whether God God hears me after I had lost a loved one with COVID-19. I want to know whether God hears me after my son broke down and got hurt because of something that related to COVID. I want to know whether God can address the person who had become impacted and never again life would be the same because of COVID. Because COVID leave a residue or other things with people who have pre-existing conditions who survive. And preaching in the 21st century ought to address issues that are holistic of a person to the person. Amen. And so, committee, many pastors and laymen out there may want to contribute to the work that candidate for bishop Dr. McCauley may have. How can they reach out to him and support the vision? 
They can reach out to any one of us, or they can look at the Macaulay for Bishop website, MacaulayforBishop.com website. It has a means of being in touch with us. It also has means of giving through Givelify so so that one can contribute financially and, and one can become connected to us by connecting with us via email. You can find that on the website. Okay. And you can also email me at OGinspirational at gmail.com. That's OGinspirational at gmail.com. And so audience, we are have a few more minutes left. And as you know, when you have four preachers on a panel, it's very hard time goes by quick. And so we want candidate for Bishop Dr. Landy McCauley to give us any closing final words that you would have to give to the body of Christ at large and then close us out with a closing prayer. Brothers and sisters, this is this has been a, an awesome experience sharing this studio with Dr. Bland, who made this possible. Good friend, Dr. Sandy William Drake, friend and brother, Dr. Jack Aradage, and to you listening audience, uh, we, we want you to still have hope in the church. Uh, one of the things that, that has transpired after COVID is the relevancy of the church and the reality of the existence of God. God is still real. God made us to survive COVID. And if anybody who may have lost a loved one because of COVID and thinking that God is not just, old folks say uh, he is too wise to make mistakes. He's too just to do wrong. Learn to trust the providence of God. You may have had a lost hope in God. God is still real. Amen. And God is able to, to meet you at your point of need. I want to thank you, Dr. Glenn, and, and to my good friend and brother, uh, Dr. Sandy William Drayton and uh, Dr. Jacques Aradez for, for sharing this platform with me. I solicit your prayer as we offered ourselves as Kennedy. And in the AME Church for the upcoming general conference in 2021, July 6th through the 10th in Orlando, Florida. Give us your support to prayers. Go on the campaign website, MacaulayForBishop.com or give through the Gibbler file. We also have a cash app account and we will be very, very elated. Your prayer will go a long way. Thank you so much. And I want to offer with a prayer. I want to thank uh, even our cameraman who is behind the scene uh, for being able to make this experience to be very much worthwhile. Eternal God, our creator, we come in you, we live, we move, and we have our being. We are grateful for the awesome privilege to share with the listening audience, uh, those who we may not see perhaps in our lifetime, but we know the word of God transcends uh, the corridor of space and time. It, and we are grateful that we have been given this platform to share our vision for your kingdom to make a difference in the lives of people, to create an upward mobility of the church and to make millennials who are crying to have their voices to be heard, to give them assurance that there is room at the table for them so that the church will become more than just preaching on Sunday morning in our four walls, but being a transforming agent in the community where we say, bless us and keep us, Lord. This is our prayer. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This is Dr. Glenn from the OG Inspiration Show signing off. Looking forward to next week when we return. Be blessed, be sustained, be prospered, and be healthy for you and your families. Amen and amen. Until next week, God bless you, and we'll talk to you next week. God bless. <laughs>